The reading this morning is the second letter of John. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth, because the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. I rejoiced greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment, just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face, so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. This is the word of the Lord. All right, if you would have a seat and join me in prayer over God's word. God and Father, you sustain us uh, by your word. It is a literal sustenance. Uh, The bread of your word uh, feeds us and we live by it. So Lord, I ask that you would bless it this morning, that we would uh, live, that we would be enlivened, that we would be revived in our souls because you have spoken to us. Father, help us to study your word intentionally, to uh, gain its true understanding, uh, Lord, so we ask that you would empower it by your spirit. Lord, we love you. We thank you for all of this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. A few weeks ago, we uh, had a guest, and um, uh, this uh, story is uh, by way of actually uh, introducing the topic this morning, but then also uh, explaining a change for us. If you've been around for a number of years, you might know that we um, have had uh, police officers here uh, at City Church, Uh, but a couple of years ago, just with uh, budgets being what they are, we decided that it wasn't something that we could continue on. Uh, We had been uh, talking as an elder team about reintroducing introducing that back to the budget and everything, and uh, a situation uh, that's kind of arisen over the last couple of weeks uh, that that doesn't represent any danger to us, and so I don't want you to worry about that, uh, did actually allow for us to uh, put that back in. And uh, I wanted to tell you why this morning. This guest that we had was uh, welcome, welcome well. Uh, He came in. Uh, It was pretty obvious from the get-go that he uh, had just some uh, mental uh, things that he was dealing with and maybe didn't have a full grasp on reality. But the more that we got to know him, the more that we got to uh, see uh, what he was about, we noticed that he uh, had an unhealthy tendency towards uh, our ladies, uh, just to uh, give attention to them, to notice 
embarrass them, to uh, even at times uh, touch and uh, things like this. And throughout uh, the last couple of weeks, I actually ended up uh, sending harassing emails to one of our ladies. And so uh, I sent an email to him, first tried to call him, get in touch with him, and asked him not to come back. Uh, here, or that if he did, that we would love to participate in helping him find the mental help that, uh, that he needed. Um, that's the first time that I can recall asking someone that wasn't a member of our church or under church discipline not to come. It's not a good feeling. It's not something that we wanted to do. But I wanted to let you know uh, that that happened and that that's why, and that's why we have a police officer uh, here with us. Um, But I wanted to tell you that for another reason, and it's because of this. It may be something that's obvious to you, but uh, we protect what we love. And here at City Church, we believe that uh, God has uh, given all of us the image of God, but that women in particular, uh, we want to celebrate the ways that they do that. Our women here at City Church are uh, lovely. God has made them, and uh, we choose. We want to uh, protect them. For those of you who are new, you need to know that that doesn't just extend to women. It extends to our children, too. You may be uh, brand new and bringing your children into Kid City. We want you to know that we protect what we love. We actually use ministry safe and background checks and uh, policies and ratios to actually uh, to, to provide a safe environment for our children. Why? Because we protect what we love here at City Church. Uh, it's something that we want to be about. It's the work that we want to do. And so uh, I actually want to give you, uh, as it relates to those first two things, a, a way of actually uh, partnering with us. Uh, number one, we didn't have a police officer in the budget. We'd love for you to help us out uh, in helping cover that cost uh, that's arisen. Uh, if you are not currently serving in Kid City, you need to know that in order to provide a safe environment, we actually have ratios that we need a certain number of uh, teachers to children. And so if you're not currently serving in Kid City, you need to know that we've actually had to turn away a few kids to keep those ratios, to keep that safe. And so I want to invite you, if you uh, would consider actually um, partnering with us in Kid City, volunteering there so that we can protect what we love. The greatest endeavor of my life has been uh, my marriage to Sawyer. Um, we, uh, we got married 15 years ago, um, and uh, she is very much uh, someone that I love. Our marriage is very uh, precious to me. Uh, we've had our ups and downs. We've had our things that we've you know, had to tackle together. But I learned right from the get-go that I had to protect what I love. Uh, we got married, and she uh, went off into the hospital and at the nursing station had uh, lots of uh, maybe older, more disgruntled women patting her on the head and saying, it's very nice that you love that man. Give it a few years. Uh, you'll feel differently. And I had to uh, hear about those reports of her coming home because the world was just lying to her about me and about our marriage, and I had to find ways of protecting what I love. And it wasn't just the nurse's station. It was friends that would give well-intended but bad advice uh, to her. It was uh, not just friends, it was family. One of the first things that I even learned in our marriage, many of you know this, is that I had to protect my marriage from my own family. Many of you have a similar story. I have also learned and and am continuing to learn that I have to protect my marriage uh, from me. I have to protect my marriage from my own sin struggles, from the ways that I try to uh, nip and tuck and tailor and craft in my own sin, sew it in to our marriage. I have to protect my marriage from me. Why? Because I protect what I love. And it is a hard work. 
And the, the short book of 2 John uh, really is about this protecting what we love. The, the apostle, the, the apostle John actually models and invites us to protect a precious work, a precious work, the precious work of the gospel, which he and we love. So what we learned this morning, if I could put it into a sentence for us just to know where we are going this morning, is that Christians protect the labor of love so that we might win the full reward. Christians protect the labor of love so that we might win the full reward. And in order to uh, take that journey up that mountain, we've got a few switchbacks that we've got to cover this morning, a few trails that we've got to climb up. We've got to know the way, we've got to know the work, and we've got to know the when. So we've got to know the way of all of these things. We've got to work, and then we've got to know what it is to win. Last week, we finished up 1 John, and uh, the next two weeks, we're going to spend uh, on each one of these letters, 2nd and 3rd John. And as we do that, we're going to uh, notice that a lot of these things flow out of 1 John. And we need to know a little bit about 1 John in order to know what we are studying. We need to know how they relate to one another. So in order to do that, I actually just want to read the first verse for us. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in the truth. And also, this is who's writing this, also all who know the truth. So everybody is kind of partnering with John, where John is. All of the people that are children in the faith are actually partnering together to deliver this message of loving protection to the churches of Asia Minor. John, here we see the elder, is writing again. Who is he writing to? He's writing to the elect lady and her children. Who is this? Who's the elect lady? If you're wondering at all whether or not Christianity prizes feminine things, prizes women, you can know and understand that Jesus himself refers to this bride, this beautiful bride that he is beautifying, that he is marrying. He loves his bride. We here today actually see the elder, John, referring to the church as a lady and her children. And he doesn't just refer to her in a flippant sense. He's saying that he loves her in the truth and that all who know Jesus are also partnering together in sending this. So that's who's writing and that's who he's writing to. Uh, it's, a, it's the same audience as the first uh, set of, uh, of you know, chapters in the first uh, book of John. So it, nothing's really changed here. The only thing or the primary thing that has changed is the time. The time. Time has passed since he sent his last letter. And many actually think that he's writing from the church at Ephesus to these other churches in uh, Asia Minor, Galatians, Capernaum. Those churches would have been there. And he says something specific to them in verse 3. He says, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. That, that, that term with us is something that we're going to be unpacking here in a moment. But grace and mercy and peace, they actually will. He's certain of it that they will be with us from God the Father and Jesus Christ, the Father's Son. How? In truth and in love. So what we need to know here is that, uh, that, that John is actually writing all of these same things with and from and in the same love that he spoke about in his first letter to these churches. John is affirming that the churches are actually persevering in the truth and in the love from his first message. How do we know that? 
Well, number one is because the uh, letter actually exists, right? If the church had like folded up, if the gospel had, uh, had actually run back in on itself, if these churches were no more, this letter wouldn't exist at all. He wouldn't have found the occasion to actually write to anyone. But also, we know this because he tells us so, and we're going to draw some implications from that here in just a moment. But they're not just persevering. They're not just existing organizationally. They haven't just built some nice little building, and they're just there, and he's just writing to them. He says that they're actually persevering in something in particular in the life and in the truth. Now, if you've been with us as we studied the letter of 1 John, you know that these are specific words. They're referring to a specific person, that there is the life and there is the truth, and his name is Jesus. So all of this is kind of flowing out from his first letter to the same people that his first letter was intended to, and he's actually going to tell us something about where they are and what they are doing in verse 4 as we discover the way that we walk. So uh, the first point, the way, verse 4, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth just as we commanded. So what we find here, even in that uh, verse 4, is that he is greatly rejoicing that things are flourishing. There is a way that is being walked out in these churches. There's a culture of truthfulness that was commanded, he says, just as you were commanded, just as we were commanded, just as we commanded you, and now there is fruit as they begin to walk out in that. But what we want to understand is, who are these children? So it is what uh, the first couple of times that I read this, I was thinking, man, this is great. I'm going to make an application towards our children because he's rejoicing greatly, he says, that some of the children are continuing to walk out in this. But I don't think that that's quite right. It would be a nice point. It wouldn't be untrue. But I don't know that it's exactly what he's talking about. He's talking about this culture that is arising where the children of the elect lady, the children who were commanded, who were commanded by whom? Commanded by the Father, this verse says, are actually living it out. And he's not like, you know, sanguine about this. He's rejoicing in it. He's not just kind of okay with it. He's actually really excited. He's greatly excited about this. Evangelism is being fruitful. Indoctrination is happening. We use that word indoctrination normally in like a negative connotation, but if you take it apart, it's a really wonderful word. There is doctrine that John was trying to actually provide for the early church, and the pastors of this church are actually indoctrinating new believers and indoctrinating faith and the truth in these small cultures. So, this culture is being created, and John is rejoicing greatly to find that they are walking in the way. Verse 5, and now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, again, language that we've heard, but one that came from the beginning, right? This is the same language that's being used in 1 John. I, it, he, he commands these things from the beginning, and they're not a new commandment from John. But here's what's interesting. He keeps on saying, this is not a new commandment. This is not a new commandment. This is not a new commandment. We've heard that week in and week out. But why is it not a new commandment? When was it a new commandment? And what we find is, is that Jesus was the one who gave it. In the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verse 34, it says, A new command I give you. 
So John is not giving a new commandment. Jesus gave us the new commandment, and John is simply just reminding us of it. Jesus goes on to say, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I loved you, so you must love. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So Jesus' new command becomes John's command that he points back to, and he's saying again and again, let us love one another, for love is from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. There is actually a way of love and of truth. So, so how do we apply this? How do we begin to understand what it is that John is doing? Well, in his first letter, he was trying to inculcate something. He was trying to actually bring about a culture of love amidst God's people. Why? Because he thought it was a good idea. It seemed nice. It would fit nicely on a Hallmark card. No, because Jesus gave it as a commandment. And because Jesus gave it as a commandment, it's something that he wants to see bear fruit. He wants to see this garden of the church actually flourish with the fruit of the gospel, which is love. So, so what, how do we get that? How do we understand that? How does it apply this morning to us today? Because we know that John wasn't just writing to a group of churches back then. We know that Jesus' command still stands, that it has not been knocked down, that it is not for some bygone age. It's for us too. And so one of the things that we want to apply this morning, again, is to be called into this enrapturous love that Jesus has for us. And because he has that love for us, we are to love one another. That's the commandment of Christ. That's what we can't get away from. That's the kind of culture that we have to build here. So the first one is the way that is building a culture, but we can't understand that apart from the way, the person of Jesus Christ. We say, let us love one another, for love is from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. How can we say that? Because there is a way of love and truth, and Jesus is it. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for him. Christians are defined in this way. The Christian way is actually defined by the love of Jesus Christ. So how do we apply this? Christians are builders. We're builders. I want you to own this this morning. Christians build a culture of gospel love in local churches. It's what John was after. It's what John rejoices in when he sees it. Now, here's why I'm going to go about making a specific point of this is that Christians are not destroyers. We're not destructive. We don't uh, reduce down. We don't deconstruct. What we do, beloved, is we build up. We construct. We may reform, but we never tear down. What we want to do is actually be building up, and we want to build a culture of love. Building a Christian culture of love sounds nice. Building a Christian church culture of love sounds nice, but the second thing that we've got to do is ask how it happens. What does it take? Is it easy? And the second point this morning, starting in verse 6, if you'll look at it with me, is that it takes work. Verse 6, and this is love, that we walk according to his commands. What does it take? It takes uh, love, and that love is defined by walking according to his demands. Love takes obedience. 
Love takes obedience. Now, if any one of you heard that this morning and just heard me say it out of context and I just said, listen, love takes obedience, many of us would just go, hey, I don't know that that's precisely what love is, that it's not just obeying something. Love issues out of the kindest parts of our heart. It's beautiful. It flows with rainbows and flowers and it's good and it doesn't take obedience at all. Well, okay. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, this is the resurrected Jesus in John chapter 21, Simon Peter, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he had said to him a third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This, he said, to show him by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Okay, so that sensibility in each one of us that says that love doesn't really have anything to do with obedience. Jesus comes along and crushes when he's standing here talking to his disciple. He's saying, do you love me? Then do something for me. Do you love me? Yes, then be obedient to my word. Do you love me? Lord, you know that I love you. Well, then do this thing that I'm asking of you. And by the way, it's going to cost you everything. You're going to uh, be carried away where you do not want to go. You're going to be stripped naked. You're going to be beaten and flogged. You're going to be put on an island. You're going to have to go and, uh, and, and, and be rearranged. Your entire life is going to be rearranged. And for Peter, ultimately, he's going to die because of Jesus. Okay, so I ask you again, is there a connection between love and obedience? John is telling us, yes. Yes, there is actually a connection between love and obedience. If you say that you love Jesus, if you cast your lot with Jesus, if you say you follow Jesus, then Jesus tells you back. John, the apostle, in the authority of the Spirit says, then obey. Walk according to his commandments. Love takes obedience. Jesus has given you commandments of love, through love, and to love one another. Now obey the commandments. Obeying this commandment, by the way, is work. And it's not just a certain kind of work. It's really hard work. And John knows all about it. When he's sitting here giving us this new old command, we see that John actually knows something because he's experienced it. John is the one who leaned against the breast of Jesus and knew Jesus' love. John is also the one that is suffering, that is exiled because of the love that he has for Jesus. So he's not just giving us this command saying, I know that it's going to be tidy. I know that it's going to be nice. I know that it's going to be neat. He's saying, you must do it because Jesus has so loved you and you claim to love Jesus. Now go and obey 
And for many of us, we'll go, I'll give you that love is a certain kind of work, but is it really actually hard work? Verse 8 says this, watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for. John is actually wanting to acknowledge that it's going to take some hard work to end up protecting this, to conserve this, to preserve this. Do you realize that John is actually after something here, and it's not tearing down. It's actually conserving something. It's preserving a certain type of culture and community. And he's saying that it's taken work to get here, and it's going to take your work to continue it on. And it's going to be hard. Sometimes it's hard for us to receive these things knowing that it takes obedience. And, and it's, not, it's not just for obvious reasons. For, for many of us, we hear about the love of Christ and it's not altogether easy just to receive the love of Christ. That maybe uh, sounds weird when it hits your ears, but the truth is, is that many of us feel unworthy of the love of Jesus. We know the sin that's in our hearts. We know the ways that we have stepped away from his truth. We know that there are certain parts of our hearts that are in this world and in a non-eternal sense are unlovable. We know that there are people around us that if they really truly knew who they were, we would feel rejected by them. And so when the gospel comes along and says, Jesus loves you, you go, I don't know if he does. I don't know if he could. It is actually hard sometimes just to receive Jesus' sacrificial love in just true faith. Sometimes it's just hard to do that. But it's also hard, it's extremely hard to work to love others. So when Jesus says, I love you, so love others, that other part we know is actually hard work. Why? Because people are messy, they're ungrateful, they're unkind, they value different things, and it's just agitating and frustrating to live around people. Can we just be honest about that? Let me ask it a different way. Is it always easy to love your brothers and sisters in Christ? We all know that the answer is no. For those of us who are in discipleship groups and we're just not quite synced up or we're not sure what they meant when they said this or we're not sure how to actually support someone and then when we go unsupported ourselves, we go, these people don't even love me. They don't even care about me. They don't even know me. And here in the midst of this command, we see that this is hard work. Loving God's people is hard work. Who knew that the most? John? No. Jesus knew it. Jesus knew that it would take all of him to come along and to show the depth of the love that he had for the Father, to know the depth of love that he has for you would cost him everything. Jesus is not just coming along with an empty shell of a gospel that says, love each other, be good. Be kind, be peaceful to one another. He's dying for it. He's showing the depth of the kind of love that he has for us, and it is hard. It is extremely hard work to love one another. But John here says, don't lose it. 
Don't lose what we have worked for. Your children are walking in truth as we commanded you. Don't lose that. It took lots of hard work. It wasn't just a letter that went out that was then uh, canonized and put in Scripture. John is living amongst these people. He knows these churches. He's dealing with false teachers. He's dealing with the people that want to run after those false teachers. He's dealing with the mess of ministry. He's dealing with the mess of people, and here he is saying, don't lose it. We've worked hard for it. Jesus died for it. I'm apostle working for it. You have sacrificed for it. Don't lose what we have worked for. So we've got to understand not just the way of love, we've actually got to understand the hard work of love. But we don't just see that there is one kind of thing at work here. It's not just works of love. There is also a wicked way at work here. Verse 7 says this, For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess. So what we see is that there is a way and there is a work of deception rather than truth. That there is uh, such, as, uh, such one is a deceiver and an antichrist. He's actually just calling it out. He's not just saying that there is a way or work of love. He's saying that there is actually a way of wickedness, a work of wickedness that is actually pulling away. That where uh, love tries to build up and construct and reform and rebuild there's something else at work that is trying to tear down and pull away and destroy. And what he says is, is that walking in this way does not lead to the Father. This work does not build a culture, it tears it down. And it says, everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teachings of Christ does not have, does not possess God. Verse 10 says this, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, what is this teaching? It's the teaching of love. Even this morning, we're actually fulfilling this. If someone stepped into a pulpit this morning and decided to tell you any other kind of thing about Jesus other than his sonship of the Father and his great love for you, what are they trying to do? They're trying to deceive. They're trying to destroy. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching of love, do not receive him. And, and for a lot of us, this goes against our nature. We go, no, 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 I'm supposed to be hospitable. It doesn't matter if there's a false teacher in our midst. I'll convert him. It'll be great. And what John says is, do not try that. Do not receive them. Because in receiving them, you're actually participating with them in their deception. Who loves that verse? Not me. I'm a people pleaser at heart. I'm a gatherer. I want to bring people in. I don't want to reject. I don't want to push away. But what John's saying is, is that there are times with people who are trying to bring teachings that stand against and oppose the love of God and against his son that you actually reject, that you turn away that you recognize the deception and you do not allow for them to come in. Is that a hard word? It is. It is a hard word for many of us. But notice what he calls that kind of work there at the very end. It wasn't just something that I conjured up. It's not just language that I started using to describe the wicked way. John uses it. He says their work is wicked. So John is building and conserving 
He's, he's building and conserving a church in this gospel love, and it stands opposed to the wicked work of deception that tears down. So we've understood the way, we've understood the work, now we've got to understand what's at stake, and it's the win. W-I-N, verse 8. Watch yourselves. Watch yourselves for a purpose so that you may not lose, but win a full reward. What John is saying here to you this morning is don't be a loser. That might sound funny when it, when it hits our ears is that like, well, John's not really saying this. He's literally saying, don't lose it. We've worked hard for it. Don't be a loser, but be a winner of the full reward. Not my words, his words. Win the full reward. Gospel work, loving work pays off and it is winning This is uncharacteristic of me, but my literal title this morning is Charlie Sheen's hashtag winning. We're winning this morning. We're a winning people this morning. Do you see in verse 8 where I'm getting this? He's actually saying that you can win not just something stupid and small, but something big, a full reward. One of my least favorite things in this life is being a sucker. And all of us, at some time or another, we've been suckers. We just walk into things. We play stupid games to win stupid prizes. Everyone knows that feeling when they get to the end of a task and ask, was it worth it? And we've played the fool, and we know that the answer is no. Every year, I take my kids to the rodeo, and we can't go to the rodeo without going to the midway. And the midway is the last circle of hell for me, okay? It's that place that you go in, and the rides, they are stupid, and the games are even stupider, and you, like, go in, and you're like, maybe there's a way to, like, actually make this worth our time, worth the money. There is not. You give them your credit card. They give you a piece of plastic. The credits never equal out. They always win, and you go, and you play games that they've made impossible for tiny hands and tiny arms to actually win. It's literally just giving $200 away, and I feel like a sucker. I can't stand it. We do it because I love my kids. They're wonderful, Uh, but man, the midway is the worst. Why? Because I feel like a sucker. I feel like there's no way to actually win. It makes me literally, I think every year, physically ill to go to the midway. Life is filled with distractions and deceptions from the loving, hard work that we are called to, and it means that many times at the end of the day, we are losing. So, so how do we apply this? How do we think about this? How do we make our goal the love of Jesus Christ and the love of one another, especially when the world has built systems where they have made hate and outrage recreational? So, so if God is calling us to this loving communing, creating this culture of love, certainly there are just these things that we do in our society that make recreation out of outrage and hate. We, we take them in, we imbibe them, we read them, we listen to them, and we just get so outraged. Very few of us are actually characterized by love and winning and winsomeness. And, and here's, here's what I really hate, 
If social media has its like hateful hooks in you, if you are addicted to outrage, what you have to do is cut the lines. Can I be that bold this morning? Many of us just go like, well, no, 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 not me, not me. I've got it under control. You don't. These companies spend billions, billions of dollars. They know your mind. They know how it works. They know how to produce algorithms that will addict you. How do I know? Because, man, I hate Twitter and Facebook, but there is not a day in the last three years that I haven't been on YouTube. Not one. Not a single day that I haven't been on YouTube. They've got their hooks in me. We've got to cut the lines. You, this morning, may need to cut the lines. Why? Because it's just this direct line of, like, hate and outrage right into your bloodstream. If I could be so bold, I want to call you to do this because these companies are not spending billions of dollars that you might win. Their their win is your loss. Verse 9, the latter part of verse 9 says this, whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. So I want to ask a question this morning. What, what do we win? What is the full reward? How can I get it? Verse 9 says, whoever abides, whoever's not deceived, whoever abides in the teaching. What is this teaching? It's the teaching of truth and love. What do we have? We have both the Father and the Son. What we see here is that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life eternal. No one comes to the Father except through his love. Jesus's winning, triumphant love makes you a winner. And what is your full reward? Verse 9 says that it is the Father and the Son. It's the best prize. So, so many of us walked in here this morning feeling defeated. We, we, we've, uh, whether we've been giving uh, the, those loving, tender parts of our heart away to things that have caused it to harden and calcify and get stony, we just feel as though we're losing. Our marriage is losing, my children are losing, my budget is losing, all of these things, I feel like I'm overwhelmed. And what you need to hear, what you need to see is that Jesus is the win. The Father is the win. It is the better prize. Here's the truth. In this world, it can be very difficult to win. Now, now in America, it's a little easier, right, to win, We like to pretend like sometimes it's not. It's very easy. But I want you to imagine that you've been born into a place where agriculture is the business, and if it doesn't rain, you're losing. Man, that's a desperate place to be. It can be very hard to get ahead. Or if you've been born into a country where your only opportunity in this life vocationally is working in a factory where there is no room for advancement, there is only room for being injured and then being out of the factory, and there's no way for you to earn more than $1.50 a day. Does that feel like winning? Here's the truth. This world can feel like losing for so many people. And so what we do is we uh, arrange our thoughts and our attentions to, like, how can we make this economically viable for everyone? And I'm I'm worried that in a world of sin, it's a fool's errand. We've got 8 billion people here in this world, but you know who can all win? Anyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ, anybody who receives the love of Jesus Christ can win. 
Anyone who places their faith in Jesus Christ can have the full and better reward of the Father and of the Son. Every day can feel like a losing battle, but for those who place their faith and their love in Jesus Christ, they are winners. So do you want a W? Do you want a win? Protect Jesus' labor of love. Build up in love and receive, win the full reward of the Father and of the Son. Protect what you love, beloved. Love Jesus Christ, love his church, obey his command to love and win the eternal reward that is in him. Let me pray this for you this morning. Father, this morning we do not pretend that we can add anything to Jesus' win on the cross, his triumph over sin. None of us can. We ask you that you would help us to walk in the way of Jesus and to win in him, not to lose what has been worked for on our behalf through Jesus Christ and through the apostles and through the inheritance of the saints that has been given to us in the gospel We know that you command us to work hard, to labor at love, to build a culture of care in your church and in this church. So we ask you, we plead with you this morning, would you help us to be winners of the full reward? Let no earthly teaching or material possession keep us from you, but let us possess you. Let us love you. God and Father, I pray in your great grace that you would accomplish all of these things for the name and fame of Jesus Christ. Amen.